0: You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast.
1: You're listening to episode 432, and I'm your co-host, Brittany Martin. John Crepezzi was a principal software engineer at GitHub. He's the author of several popular Ruby gems, including the IceCube Recurring Date Library. He created a bunch of other things like the open source payspin software, Hayspin, and a website for craft beer lovers called Beer Broadcast. Welcome to the Ruby on Rails podcast, John. Hey,
2: good to be here. I based in Princeton, New Jersey, and I'm excited to be on the show. Thank you for having me.
1: Awesome. Well, I didn't even know this before I invited you on, but I'm actually a big fan of the Ice Cube gem. So I love when that kind of magic happens. So thank you so much for making that. But let's talk about the story that brings you all the way up to that point and more. So John, what is your developer origin story?
2: Sure. Yeah. So when I was probably seven or eight, my dad got a computer and he brought it home and it was like DOS computer. So there was like no mouse. It was just like a keyboard. It was kind of the most boring thing ever. And my dad didn't really know anything about it. He was like a postmaster. And I think like one of the people that worked at the post office, like a postman or postwoman, had the computer and was getting a new one. So they gave it to us. So put it down. You know, the terminal prompt comes up and he knew enough to type QBasic. And back then, what QBasic would do is it would just launch you into, I think it was called the editor. It was the DOS editor and it was like this blue full screen editor and you would type code and then when you hit F5, what it would do is just save that code into a file and then run it kind of like in interactive mode because QBasic and BASIC were interpreted. So he wrote inside the thing, he wrote 10 print hello John and then 20 go to 10, right? And he like ran it and it just wrote hello John the whole screen. And then I was like, okay, now what do we do? And he's like, I have no idea. I have no idea what to do with this (laughs) thing. So he actually had to like force restart the computer. He had to hit the button on the front, to turn it off and turn it back on. And when he turned it back on, we went back into the program. And I think in the file menu, which is you got there by back then, each of the menus at the top, even though there was no mouse, you would get there by hitting the function keys. So when you hit the function key, there was one for help. And he, in the help, there was like this, I guess, outline of how the programming language worked. And I guess I just like dove into the documentation and the documentation wasn't about how the programming language worked as much as about here are the different commands that the programming language has and what they do. And I kind of just sucked it in the way that like some people, I don't know, like horses or something. And they just like know all the horses and some people, there's a weird analogy, but I just wanted to learn everything. And that is something that hasn't stopped since. So then kind of going after that, I went to high school. I didn't really take any computer classes in high school, but I do remember, and my mom will attest that every night when I was home, I was on the computer and I was reading. We would go to like the library and I would always want to check out like a book, I don't know, high performance MySQL. I'm looking up at my bookshelf here, like some random thick textbook style book. And my mom would be like, don't you want something fiction-based, something interesting? And I just loved sitting there I had this like very strong memory of sitting like at a diner reading the really thick first Python book just like cover to cover. Then in high school didn't really like do computer classes, didn't do computer club because I was busy doing other high school things. And then when it came time to apply for college, I was like I only want to go to MIT or Carnegie Mellon. And I guess no one had told me back then that that's a pretty Unrealistic set of things to only apply to those. Like you need some kind of fallback. I got waitlisted from one and denied from the other. And then I was like, I guess I'm not going to college. And my mom instead brought me to an open house that they were having at the New Jersey Institute of Technology, which is a school similar to like MIT, but like the New Jersey version. It's actually based in Newark. So we went up there. They offered me a scholarship and admission to the Honors College based on test scores entered the university with major in computer science, graduated in almost five years. Like I wasn't a very good student. And then I would say that's when the learning really starts because then you have to go get a job. And I had a few internships through college. My first real job job, which was like my dream job of all time, was at Sun Microsystems. And I was like, I just want to work at Sun Microsystems. That's all I want in the entire world. I just want to work there. I got the job through an alumni connection with the university. It was remote. This is probably 2005. So back then it was like full remote. It was awesome. They had these like drop in offices where you would go and like there were no assigned desks. So you would just go in and sit down. And if you got there early in the morning, you could take any desk you want. So I would get there at like 6 a.m. and take like the C suite desk and sit there looking out the window like I was the king of Sun Microsystems or something. Sun was first by Oracle and I decided that. Things had changed pretty significantly and then didn't work. And that's when I went and started interviewing. I got my first physical in-person job, which was at Patch. And they were using this thing called Ruby on Rails. Back then, they were using a version one of Ruby on Rails. We got to version two while I was there. I'm not sure who chose Ruby or why they chose Ruby, but I'm really happy that they did. And while I was there at Patch, I was encouraged by coworkers to build Ice Cube. Ice IceCube was and is a library for handling kind of recurring dates in Ruby. And we were using it to power a calendar application that we were building. And I just got lucky to be in a place where there were people that kind of knew about the gem ecosystem and this emerging library of tools that were being built for Ruby and Rails and encouraged me to build the thing as an open source gem instead of building it just internally. So I always tell people try to find some place where they can embrace open source, or where open source is the thing. Since then, I've worked at Square worked at Tumblr, worked at Genius. I worked at a few startups. I started a few startups. All of those were in Ruby, primarily, except Tumblr. And then most recently, I've worked at GitHub for five years, just left recently. And that's kind of like where we are now. And I just wanted to say one other thing. It's just that this might be a little controversial. And this is that at some point, programming seems to have become like a thing where you can make a lot of money. In some ways, programming is like the new doctor. It's like a different path to pretty lucrative career. And when something makes you a lot of money, some people are there for like the actual thing, but then some people are there because they want to make a lot of money. And both are totally fine, but you definitely have a better time if you're at least a little bit there kind of like for the programming. And that's been a common theme in my career, which is that I might not always love the project I'm working on. I might have gripes with the company that I work for, but then at the end of the day, I just like, always have been and still am just so in love with what I do that I just never even thought I'd do anything else.
1: So many thoughts. I love that. I mean, I just want to make you very aware. People that are listening to this podcast are your people. These are people who are choosing to engage in content around Ruby and Rails outside of work. And so I think anyone who's listening to this right now is probably readily agreeing with you. And also, I'm trying to get as many audiobooks in this year as possible. But honestly, your developer origin story, I'm going to count as one because what a wild ride that has been. And I have always wanted to talk to someone who worked at Genius. So I'm going to have to ask what that experience was like, because I knew that they were using Ruby. Were they using Rails? What was it like? Yeah, they were using Ruby. and
2: still written in Ruby and Rails. It was such an amazing experience. Okay. A little bit of background. When I first interviewed there, I had a friend that was working there and they were like, okay, you should come work at Genius. And I went and I interviewed. And at the time they had this thing, they called it the Genius Genius Grant. So the idea at the time was that they were trying to get like very high quality applicants or something. And the idea was that if you passed the interview, even if you didn't want to take the job, that they would give you a thousand dollars cash. And that was like, oh, and a plaque and the plaque said Genius Genius Grant on it which is a little ridiculous, but they did this and I went to do the interview. And I guess I did not pass the interview or I didn't answer something in the way that they wanted me to. So I actually got node and that's when I went and worked for Square. Okay. And four months after the CEO and the CTO kind of reached out to me and they said, listen, sometimes you make decisions and a lot of times you make decisions. And and this is true in life, I think. So a lot of times you make decisions and it's a hard decision, but immediately after you make it, you're like, okay, that was the right decision. But then sometimes you make decisions where you're like, okay, I'm not sure, you know, and it keeps kind of grating at you over and over again. And basically what they're saying is like, this was the type of decision that they think that they had made a mistake on and that they wanted to correct it. So we were meeting in person, they gave me the genius genius grant at the table and they offered me a job. I remember thinking like, it's nice that these people can admit that they were wrong, It's really nice that they're doing this because they don't have to, but this is also just ludicrous and I'm not taking this job. So over the next six months or so, we kept talking. They're tremendously nice people. There's like the public version of Genius, which people see, but then there's the internal kind of version of Genius. And inside of Genius, there is a tremendously thoughtful set of people that really was trying to like... The founder was kind of like talking about it as like an art project what they're really trying to do is just they're trying to see what it's like when people kind of come together and put knowledge into a single place. So at the time we were working on a thing called the web annotator, which was if you could take the concept of genius.com with the annotations and the IQ system, and then apply that to the entire internet. So it was super exciting. There was this thing at Genius called the isms. So the idea of the isms, and everyone should look these up, I think, which is the idea of the isms is that They're a set of principles by which the whole company guides itself. And they have a little catchy, fun name, each of them. So one of the principles, for example, would be don't fill up on bread. And the idea there is that it's really tempting when you're working to go take a bunch of small things and go get the small things done. But then in the end, you'll feel like, yeah, I accomplished a lot. But then when you look at the thing you've done, really you haven't made much progress. So that's don't fill up on bread. Another is feel it to my face. And the idea there is that, if you have something that you want to say or some feedback you want to give something someone about something that they've done, that you should just tell that person rather than going and telling other people or talking kind of behind their back. So these isms were like constantly brought back up. We talked about them all the time. They took like leadership and one-on-ones more serious than any company I've ever worked for even since. And I just still talk about it all the time. So I'm really happy you asked this question.
1: Well, I really appreciate you letting me geek out on a tangent like that. This episode is brought to you by Scout APM. Scout is an industry leader in application performance monitoring. This low overhead tool is designed to help Ruby developers find and fix performance issues. Scout's intuitive UI and tracing logic ties bottlenecks to specific lines of code and allows you to quickly pinpoint and resolve issues like n plus one queries, slow database queries, memory bloat, and more. Scout's unlimited seats and applications allow teams to collaborate without additional costs and makes it easy for any member of your team to become a performance pro. See for yourself why developers worldwide call Scout their best friend with a free 14-day trial, no credit card needed. As a special offer for Ruby on Rails listeners, Scout will donate $5 to the open-source project of your choice when you deploy. Learn more at scoutapm.com slash rails So before we get into why I brought you onto the show today, like I'm going to have to ask John, you seem like you have a lot of talent. You have a lot of experience. Like how have we managed to keep you in the Ruby and Rails community for so long?
2: (laughs) Well, one the community is I love the community. I love that the types of products that seem to be getting built with Ruby and Rails are always exciting and thoughtful and kind of like on the new edge of things. So I think that's probably connected to it is that each of the places that I've worked have been in an exciting new domain, uh, Ruby and Rails, and this is maybe a part downside, part upside, is like a very strong implementation language when a company's first started. It's only later that some people come in and they're like, this can't scale, or like, this is not going well. We have to switch to all microservice architecture or something. So I guess the answer is that like, I have self-selected companies that are Ruby and Rails companies, and that's easy to do because Ruby and Rails is just so perfect for the company just starting.
1: Okay, excellent. Well, you were referred onto the show by Julie Jay, who is episode 426. I'll link that up in the show notes in case you haven't heard her episode, because a big part of her journey was All Aboard boot camp, which is the thing that you created. And so can you tell me what that is? Sure. I just
2: wanted to thank Julie, by the way. The way that it got started was my wife's cousin. So my cousin-in-law, is that a thing? I was talking to to Tara one day and so she had worked in fashion for a long time. And as part of the first round of like COVID response had been laid off from her job. So she was looking for something new to do and wasn't sure whether or not she wanted to continue what she was already doing. And was thinking about getting into tech. So I think like the boot camps of the world have gotten so much press. That's the first place that a lot of people go. They kind of Google like tech boot camp because they've heard about them, maybe through General Assembly or... LearnCo type thing. So she went and Googled that and she found a bootcamp, several bootcamps. was sending me the syllabus of them. And when she sent the syllabus, I was also reading just about the bootcamp and like kind of their take on the world. So these bootcamps, a lot of them, like the one that she actually was interested in is $20,000. So that's the price of the bootcamp. And she was nervous because she also has to pass a pre-assessment before she can join the bootcamp. And of course, like, Admissions interviews, they happen. They happen for college. They happen for jobs. They're not a huge deal. But the bigger deal is that the boot camps advertise kind of like their career placement numbers or their graduation rate. And the two problems are that one, they're not regulated. So they don't have to be honest all the time. They're not accredited. They're, they don't have to answer to anyone. And the second is that they are selecting entirely from their pool of people who have $20,000 and already know how to program because the pre-assessment is a programming interview. So it's really easy to have good graduation rates when you're only selecting people that can already do the thing that you want to. It's like, if I was like, I guarantee I can place you in a programming job if you are a programmer and you have a spare $20,000 in your bank account. It's like, yeah, probably a pretty good success rate with that. So. I started to think that not only was that a not good system, but also if you're the programming bootcamp, you're kind of incentivized to pick people that you think are going to get jobs because it reflects on your graduation and career placement rates, like I was saying. So there actually is like this disincentive to choose people that don't look like the archetypical person that is a programmer. And the person that is a programmer is normally white, male, middle to upper class. So I was like, what it would take to make a bootcamp that just was focusing on people that were not like me. And I've got a lot of unfair advantages throughout my entire life. And like, what would it take to just make a boot camp where those people could ask the questions that they want to, not feel like they were asking questions that were too early in the process? Cause a lot of times when you have boot camps that are for everyone, what happens is that a lot of people that already know what they're doing come in, This what they're looking for is just kind of like validation and help getting a job. So they'll be in there kind of asking questions that are really hard to make new people be able to get started with the bootcamp.
1: So how did you go about deciding that you were gonna start this bootcamp? I mean, the syllabus and like all that, it just feels like a lot of work.
2: Yeah, as far as like, how was I gonna start it? I started by just kind of just starting it, kind of like jumping in with two feet. In genius-isms terminology, we would call that running into the spike. (laughs) to <laughs> so the idea. I I'd love
1: that. that one. <laughs>
2: yeah, it's a really good one. So the idea of that one, just for anyone listening is like, find the hardest thing you can do and just go do that. That's normally the thing that's going to provide the most value. So just go to the hardest thing and then all the other things will kind of fall in place behind it. And I still take that when I'm working on projects. So with Run to the spike, the idea here is just like, I don't know how to start it. I've never read a course like this before. I've maybe taught or I've done a bunch of conference talks and I have an idea of like how to speak So what I will do is I will just put a sign up form out there and see what happens. So that's what I did. I put a sign up form out. I chose a date range that I was like roughly free in, and my family is super nice for letting me take something that is somewhat free and turn it into free, which is like not always easy because I have kids and a wife. And so we put the form out there. The next morning I was expecting to wake up to I don't know maybe twenty sign ups or something, and I think we got four hundred or something like that. So I woke up. Probably there were two hundred the next day, and I'm just like, oh like. We might be doing this to like, oh, we're full on doing this. This seems to have a chord with a lot of people and we're doing this. And then you start to freak out a little bit because you're like, oh, I don't have a syllabus. I don't know like what I'm doing. What if it doesn't go well? What if it, people aren't happy with it? I don't know. I'm like pretty psyched at that point, you know, because I'm like, I'm going to help a lot of people. It's going to be really good. So I started just by creating an outline for the course. So I was just an outline of like how an average day would go. So each session is two hours long. So we'd start with a Q and A, it's 10 minutes. Then we would do 20 minutes of reviewing the assignment because there's an assignment that's given every day. Then like 25 minutes of lecture time, a 10 minute break where I'd also take more questions, 45 more minutes of lecture time, 10 minutes of kind of assignment prep, that's where I talk through the assignment for the next day. And then I would do everyday Q and A for as long as was needed. Normally that would mean another hour of me sitting on the call, just kind of answering questions. While working full-time? Yeah, Yeah, I was doing this while working full-time. So I would do it. I scheduled it so that it would start right after work. I was at the time working out of an office in Asbury Park. And so I would go to work, work all day. And then right after work, I would do the course. I'd get home at 9 p.m., wake up and do it again. And I'd actually wake up early in the day. Every assignment that was submitted, I gave feedback on. So I would read through their code and actually tell them how they could make it better every day. It got easier over time because like not everyone that registered completed the course, but it was a lot of work. You know, <laughs> like I'm not going to try to hide that part. It was, it was a ton of work. And I didn't have a syllabus either upfront. So what I did is I was like, how can I get a syllabus? I, I don't know how to do a course like this. So what I did is I went to a place where I went to different boot camps, and they have their course outline kind of listed on their website. So it'd be like the first day, we're going to talk about strings. Then we're going to talk about numbers or, or booleans or so, you know, whatever. So they would write this whole outline and I did that for like 10 to 15 different boot camps and coding programs. And then what I did is I put them in a giant doc and I merged all of them kind of together and I took all the pieces that I thought were not important and I got rid of them and I took the pieces I thought were important and I made my kind of my own outline. And then I broke that outline into what I thought at the time felt like manageable chunks But I did want to make sure to end on the two hour mark every day because a lot of people that are in the course were like also working their job while they're doing the course. So what I would do every day is I would do the course and then I would prepare the material for the next day. So I would sit down for like another hour when I got home that night and I would just write out, okay, here's where we stopped. Here's where I want to ideally get to tomorrow. And here's all the things that need to be talked about in order for me to get to that thing. And Another thing I want to say about the course is that like a lot of courses and actually a lot of programming books, just looking around like the books that are in the room here, you open the programming book. Okay, a string is a data type and a string looks like this. And to a new programmer, they're just like, why? Why would I even care about this thing? So I tried in the course as much as possible to skip over those things, to skip over the definitions of like, If you open a book on, I don't know, like Scala or something, in the first chapter, they're talking about all of the float types and what their different uses are. It's like Mm -hmm. you don't need to know that to write code. And actually, like for Ruby and Rails developers, I think in particular, that's like that hits home pretty hard is that because it's duct type and because it's like very easy to read, you often don't even have to know. You could be a professional Ruby developer for 10 years and not have to know. So that's what I tried to do with the course. All of the assignments are designed that way. All the lectures are designed that way. I also, a lot of people asked up front if I was going to record the sessions. So I ended up recording them and I'm happy I did because now they are online for everyone to see. They're at allaboardbootcamp.com. I still get people going there and asking like either questions about individual ones or just like sending me emails to thank me for publishing the course. And I'm just like really happy that I did that because I was originally not going to do that.
0: Hi everyone it's brian your co-host and to me connecting developers and startups has been the best job in the world when i founded mirror placement in 2006 i didn't know anything about recruiting other than what i had learned while growing my software agency my developer colleagues really disliked recruiters and since developers are just about the nicest people i know i thought what could recruiters be doing so badly that causes my good-natured friends to despise them so much and it turned out a lot Their horror stories included tales of jobs and companies that didn't exist, of recruiters not sharing the name of the company they were recruited for, and frequently, the anonymous, well-funded tech startup whose job descriptions sounded a lot like a word salad of technical buzzwords. I learned about having your resume spammed out to dozen of companies without your consent. I heard of last minute salary and title changes after many hours of invested time and interviewing. And I have to admit, when I listened to all of these tales, I couldn't help but think, it could be so much better. So I gave it a shot. And thanks to you, 16 years later, it is better. You've shown that radical transparency works and that for developers and startups, pursuing long-term relationships at the expense of short-term transactions is always the right call. Together, we've made a difference at hundreds of startups and seeing careers blossom and startups change the world has been a great privilege. And I am so thankful to you for giving me this seat and to Brittany for sharing this podcast. So I just wanted to say thank you for allowing me to help accelerate your career and your startup and to know that I'm rooting for you in the next step of your journey. Thanks.
1: I have to ask, John, this has been like such a hot topic within the community, but did you ever consider doing fully JavaScript instead of Ruby and JavaScript together?
2: Yeah, I did. But then in the end, I decided to do both because I think that the most important thing is like give people enough tools that they know what questions to ask. That's kind of like the priority when teaching. It's just like in college or in high school or any, any kind of learning session, maybe even except a boot camp, which is like a little bit different, which is that you want to give people just enough knowledge that you can point them in a direction that they can go find more knowledge, right? Like a college programming course is not about teaching you everything about programming. It's about kind of teaching you the pieces of the foundation of programming. And then you go get a job. Like I was saying before, your first job is like really where you go learn. And that's when you're starting to fill in all those little gaps and become a real programmer. So I wanted to teach enough JavaScript, I guess, that someone could know the basics and expand on them to build a real site. And I figured that in 2021, 2022, that real sites have JavaScript. But I really wanted the core of the course to be in Ruby because I think that Ruby is just so versatile and friendly for new developers you're going into JavaScript and the first thing, if you're teaching any kind of like valuable lesson in JavaScript, you will have to reckon with the idea of like anonymous functions in the first couple lessons. With Ruby, you don't have to do that.
1: Well, I want to personally thank you because you're the reason that we probably have some new Rubyists in the community. So thank you so much. I am curious, John. How did you tackle local coding environments with such a wide range of students?
2: Yeah, I was very fortunate. Some parts of this course cost me quite a bit of money. I never understood that zooms, for example, costs a ton of money. So (laughs) some things cost money, but some things I was very fortunate to be able to get help from other people. For example, our Slack workspace where we talked and people organized kind of like outside study sessions and they like talked and asked each other questions and asked me questions. Slack actually gave us free Slack, which is a pretty big deal because like Slack's kind of expensive. So they gave us a free Slack where the messages don't expire. So for the, Local coding environments. When I was thinking about this, I was like, "Man, I wish that there was a way that like everyone could just have the same environment." So I was looking a little bit into I think it's called Gitpod or something like that. And then I remembered that at the time GitHub was building Code Spaces. So I actually went to the Code Spaces team and I said, "Hey, how would you feel about like a pretty large beta group on Code Spaces, kind of figuring out if everything's working correctly?" And this was before it was generally available. So I was actually able to get everyone in the boot camp a beta access to Codespaces, and we ran the entire bootcamp on Codespaces. What's nice about that is that everyone has the exact same editor. Everyone has the same exact experience. So when they see me do something in class, they see me click a certain button to perform an action, they can go click that exact same button. With Codespaces, if you're getting started, and this is not an ad in any way, but like when you're getting started, let's say you want to write Ruby code, the VM that you're putting inside of for Codespaces already has Ruby installed. So if, like if you're writing some basic Ruby and Rails code, I think there's three steps to getting like an application booted. And you can actually, in Codespace, I'm not sure if a lot of people know this, but you can actually start a server inside the Codespace. And what it will do is port forward it. And a little dialogue will pop up and it'll say, hey, do you want to see the public version of this page? And you click OK. And you'll actually be brought to a page that is port forwarded into your Codespace box where you can work on the site. But Codespace is... Very legitimately could be a development environment for a small to medium sized Ruby on Rails application. Actually, at GitHub, they use it exclusively to develop GitHub.com.
1: That is amazing. And seriously, just the lowering the barrier of being able to have Ruby and all the dependencies installed, it's a big deal. And so getting everybody on the same interface was probably really huge in being able to scale this up. Now, tell me about Talkie Days. Why did you include these in the course?
2: Oh, yeah. Okay. So Talky Days are a day in the week. This was Tuesday and Thursday. And the idea is that we would bring in someone in the industry to talk about their experience in software. So we had a bunch of people from different roles. We had people in like manager and director positions. We had software engineers. We had recruiter one day. We had developer advocates. I'm fortunate to have a lot of really nice friends that were really helpful. And I specifically asked my friends that are also from underrepresented backgrounds so the students would see themselves mirrored in the representation. Cause, like, it wouldn't feel super great to be, I don't think, to be in a course and then, like, have a bunch of people talking about their experience in industry. And they're all like white males, too. I'm probably not the ideal person to run the course, but I guess what I'm saying. So we did that. Students really liked it. And honestly, I think a lot of the guests really liked it, too. So they would come in and they would talk about their experience getting into whatever they were doing. And then they would do like a Q&A for a little bit. And there were always like too many questions and there was so much, but actually even in that, we built a community. Like for example, Julie met Eileen at RailsConf and like they could connect over that because they were, Eileen was one of the presenters that had come in and talked to the course.
1: That's awesome. Well then how did the class conclude and did you track students landing roles?
2: Yeah. Okay. So we did a final project at the end of the course, just like most boot camps do the difference between this and other, there's a couple of differences actually. One is that final projects in most boot camps are team-based. So you get put on a team and then you have to do like a project with that team. Now I remember, like I said, I wasn't a very good student in college, but I remember going to like chemistry lab or something and they would give us a, a thing to do and they'd sit us at a table with five people. And I was always the guy who was like, I'm not doing it or like, I'll help, but I don't want to like write up the results or whatever. Right. Group projects have their place. But a lot of times, like when you put group projects in a place where you have to get kind of a score at the end, it ends up making it really hard for some people to actually do work. And it's either because they're like me and they're just lazy or it's because some people get squeezed out in group projects. Some people might want to do some work and then everyone else is like, oh, we got this. Just sit on the side. Just sit over there and don't do anything. So this was an individual project. The way that it would work is that every person had to come up with an idea of something that they wanted to build and they had to essentially pitch me that idea. And then I did what we call, I think we called it like like one-ups. And the idea there was like, you give me your idea. And then I want you to like stretch it a little bit further. I want you to like add something extra, something that like we didn't talk about in this course, something that will require you to go outside of your comfort zone. And then every week, we would do reviews of the project. So they needed to give a project update every week. And then at the end, there was actually like a final presentation of their projects. And you can actually find those videos also on the website, which we'll link in the show notes. Oh, sure. Well. So after the final project, we had the people that had successfully completed the course. I offered resume review rounds. So as part of my job, review quite a bit of resumes, just how it works or whatever. So... I would review their resume and I would give feedback. I gave pretty detailed feedback and I was able to do that by I copied their resumes into Google Docs and then just like was able to mark them up right inside of Google Docs and I would send that back to them. And then after the resume review rounds, I actually offered myself also as a source of recommendation. So like when people are applying for jobs, they could put me down as like a reference or a recommendation. We also were able to take the list of candidates, the people that had graduated from the bootcamp, and we were able to publish them also on the website. So on the website, you can see like the final projects and you can see which people are still maybe looking for work. A lot of people got jobs as a result of the bootcamp or as a result, I should say, of their work in the bootcamp. We're still working on a few. So if you're hiring, definitely you could reach out to me, or you could look at the website. The job market right now, like we were talking about before the show, is in an interesting place. And a lot of these people that are still looking for full-time positions are kind of getting the runaround on the stop-start motion that is currently in our job market. So definitely appreciate If anyone has something, just reach out.
1: Absolutely. Well, John, I just got tired listening to all of that. And in a really good way, I'm also really inspired because this is a problem. And you are one of the few people that I can point to and say, this guy, he did something about it. So, I mean, you should just be so proud of yourself, what you managed to pull off. And I feel almost greedy asking this question, but what is the future for All Aboard Bootcamp?
2: Well, I definitely want to do it again. I'm thinking about doing it again this fall. I still have people going to the site or discovering the class and kind of reaching out saying either thank you or thank you. And we wish that we could have done this synchronously. So definitely want to do it again. It seems like there's plenty of demand for it to happen again. I guess people feel awkward getting something for free or they feel awkward, why is Sean doing this? So like a lot of people did offer to pay for the course because it's normally like what you do with the camp. So I was very nervous about what that would mean for the boot camp. Like the whole point of it was kind of not to make money. So I was actually able to take some of the money and, and ask for more money from other people too. And we were actually able to buy these like, full price tickets to RailsConf 2021 for some of the students in the course. So they were actually able to go to RailsConf. So the idea is like with the bootcamp, we want to create like an entryway, like a little ramp for people that are from nothing just started or maybe from early in development. And that we want to create a way that they can kind of get started and then also become involved in the community that we all love. Like the reason that this podcast exists and the reason that like RailsConf exists, we want to get them into that. It's kind of like a full circle thing. So it might sound like a lot of work, but that's the work that will get people actually started. So yes, this fall, we're going to do it again. Still trying to figure out what the dates will be, but I'm super excited. And now instead of working in Asbury Park, I work out of my own house. So maybe it'll be a little bit easier or harder or something.
1: So it sounds like you eventually are going to want potential students to sign up, but is there anything that the community can do to support you? Because we all care so passionately about this topic.
2: I was also very fortunate to have a lot of the people that graduated the first version of the course reach out, including Julie, and basically say, how can we help? We want to help other people do this. And actually, like if you look at the website, you can read more about in detail like what exactly happened. But the idea also with the website was to create kind of like a blueprint for what it would take to write a course like this. So it's like, yes, I want to create the course. I want to publish the course. And my hope is also that other people might take the idea and the shape of the course and kind of replicate it. You can even take the name. You can like work with me. Let's do it. And in the time between the two courses, I've also been trying Twitch streaming for a bit. So we have like several different versions of Twitch streaming we do. I do a session with John Hawthorne pretty often where we do a deep dive into Rails and Turtles, where we work on Brails together. And then we normally publish a PR kind of as a result of the work that we've done. But I also do these kind of like more intro sessions where I just kind of get on the feed and let people ask questions and I just answer anything that they want to know. So if that's interesting to you, even in the time between now and when the bootcamp starts, you can also find me over there.
1: Yes. We'll link that up in the show notes as well. John, how can listeners follow you?
2: Yeah. So you can follow me on Twitter, GitHub, Twitch, whatever. C. John Run, S-E-E-J-O-H-N-R-U-N.
1: Why C. See John Run?
2: First of all, a lot of people think I'm like really into running and I am. I'm real bad. <laughs> I'm real bad. <laughs> runner.
1: I love John.
2: And I think like this, the reason that it is this because I'm such a bad runner. So in high school, I was in a band and they thought that I ran funny. So they, we actually named the band C. John Run. And there was like this little stick figure running guy and he was supposed to be. me.
1: That's incredible. Well, John, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for everything that you've pulled off in this community. I am super stoked for the fall. I mean, this is an incredible program that you've put together and I feel genuinely so lucky that you're in this community. So thank you so much.
2: Yeah, thank you. I truly believe in Ruby on Rails and its future and I'll be here trying to help make it better. And I look forward to meeting even more of you. You've been listening
0: to the Ruby on Rails podcast. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded to stay in the loop on Ruby on Rails and open source software. While you're at it, please leave us a review. And thank you for listening.